Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk as we continue to talk about Ohio State and Michigan. This is a football conversation on this episode of Buckeye Talk. We want to talk about how good we think Ohio State and Michigan are compared to each other, and then that level of play that we expect from them that we expect on the last Saturday in November. How do we think that'll travel this year? Doug Maurice joined by, as usual, Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. And also joining us today, Jimmy Watkins. Mr. Rivalry? Dr. Rivalry? I don't know. You're a rivalry reporter? What do you call yourself? Dr. Rivalry? How do you introduce yourself to people, Jimmy? Having having been on the job for, I think, less than six months, I don't know if you can obtain a doctorate in such a short Hmm. span of time. So maybe undergrad rivalry beat writer as as it stands but you know working towards that every day so jimmy likes to go around and ask sports fans and sports people why they hate each other so it's his whole life good luck so he does a lot of stuff (laughs) right browns ravens Browns, steelers he does like uh why does uh why did dylan brooks want to punch darius garland in the face or i don't know what happens with the Cavs, you know stuff like that but he has a lot of ohio state michigan stuff and so jimmy was at the michigan spring game michigan got spring football out of the way they were done before anybody so their spring game has been over for two weeks and so we want to talk jimmy's going to bring some of that michigan knowledge here and he's been talking to people about the rivalry and that kind of thing but i want to start off with this And this is the thing that I've been sitting on. I've been talking about it in the College Football Survivor Show, Nathan. And we'll bring it right off the bat here. I currently am operating under the idea that Ohio State and Michigan will be two of the four best teams in college football this year. I'm doing that because I think this might be the the best Michigan team yet of the Jim Harbaugh era. I think maybe they had been building towards something that the last two playoff appearances, they are still on, on their path towards something else. And I am doing it under the assumption that an improved Ohio State defense, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, a healthy run game, and the quarterback play will be good enough. Start there. Nathan, how does that sound in April, the idea that Ohio State and Michigan will be two of the four best teams in the country? I think in April, it sounds completely plausible, especially when you're talking about just assessing the total talent there. I've been thinking a lot about this in the last couple of weeks, though, as I start to look ahead, because we're not planning, you know, we don't start picking 
our four playoff teams, what Ohio State's record is going to be. That stuff doesn't come until the summer. But as I'm starting to come out of the spring and look at it, I do I, my, my, I'm on a little bit of an alert level for this being one of those years where Ohio State gets to December and says, well, we're supposed to be one of the four best teams, but maybe our record didn't get us into the final four. Steven, what do you think about operating under this theory for the moment? I think it's a safe bet to make right now in mid-April when most teams are wrapping up spring football. Maybe you start looking at, you start at the most important position there. You might have a case of the teams who, are re- who have realistic playoff aspirations, depending on how you feel about North Carolina. Michigan might have the second-best quarterback of that bunch with J.J. McCarthy behind Caleb Williams, just with how things shape right now. So it's probably a safe bet to think that there's, if, there, if the, big, the Big Ten could possibly get two playoff teams again with Ohio State and Michigan, especially if they're both undefeated going into that game. I will say the context of that, right, the, the three probable defining programs of, of the last six years in college football, mm-hmm. no offense to Michigan. We, uh, listen, this is going to be weird because like, I talk about this stuff on the Survivor Show a lot, and we haven't delved into it here on Buckeye Talk. It is very hard to figure out. Maybe we can figure it out on this podcast. Who's the best program in the Big Ten right now? Because it's like, well, Michigan beat Ohio State two years in a row, but does that mean that's it? Michigan's the best team. They're the back-to-back Big Ten champ. They've beaten Ohio State twice in a row. What else do you want? Or, you know, you kind of look at, well, look what Ohio State did against Georgia and like all the years before that. Maybe we can work that out on this podcast. But Georgia quarterback battle. Alabama quarterback battle. Ohio State quarterback battle. Michigan J.J. McCarthy. And when you start going through stuff at this time of the year, Jimmy, you know, I'm all I'm I'm on a kind of a Florida State thing right now. A lot of people are. Why? In part, Jordan Travis, returning quarterback. People are fired up about Washington, Michael Penix, returning quarterback. Oregon, Bo Nix, returning quarterback. Texas, Quinn Ewers, returning quarterback, right? You can look for those places. But as Steven said, if you are trying to look for a good team with a returning quarterback, Michigan's probably at the top of the list because maybe you're not exactly sure about everything around Caleb Williams at USC. They fell a little bit short last year. You know, they're going to be better in year two of Lincoln Riley, but we know how good Michigan is. And a year ago, Jimmy, a year ago at this time, JJ McCarthy basically like did not take part in spring football and we were going to go through this little dance in August that, again, Jim Harbaugh, I think, played perfectly to arrive at J.J. McCarthy. And now nobody's dancing, man. This is J.J. McCarthy's show. How much, how valuable do you think to that that is, Jimmy, to what people should and are thinking about Michigan football right now? So, so I'm kind of of two minds on the, uh, on the J.J. McCarthy front. On one hand, I wrote this a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of the things I wrote off the spring game was uh, talking to Davis Warren, one of the backups at Michigan, and just sort of kind of picking his brain about how J.J. looks this spring and what, to your point, Doug, um, the, the difference can be for a quarterback who went through basically no real spring ball last year, didn't throw a ton, and now the keys are his. There's no quarterback battle. There's nothing. He's not looking over his shoulder. He's been through um, a season of experience. And then as Jim Harbaugh said, another season of experience just in that TCU game alone. Um, so you can frame it that way and say, Oh, here comes JJ McCarthy blow the lid off Michigan's offense. They scored 40 a game last year when he was kind of, when they were kind of kid gloving him a little bit with the run game. 
And that, you know, with him, he's got two receivers back uh, that were in the rotation last year. He got both of his running backs back. What the, the sky's the limit, right? Or you can look at, well, they did kind of kid glove the offense with him last year a little bit. I, he didn't throw the ball more than 30 times, I think, except for like three games. Um, the, the, the lasting impression of him was kind of um, a mixed bag, right? Like he was great in the second half to lead that comeback. He also threw two pick sixes in the game, in the TCU game that put him in a position uh, to be in that comeback. So yes, Michigan has a known commodity in the fact that it, it knows who its starting quarterback is going to be that year, next year. I don't necessarily know that, that JJ McCarthy is a known commodity though. Certainly I mean, a five-star quarterback with a good arm and, and good mobility is, there's a lot to like there. And, and within like, Sure, I can. You can. A lot of Ohio State fans. I was just at the Ohio State spring game with you guys, and a lot of Ohio State fans just called JJ McCarthy a game manager that day when I was talking to them. Um, but like, you can't separate the quarterback from the quarterback ecosystem. So, if the quarterback ecosystem elevates JJ McCarthy, oh well, that still counts, right? So, it's. I don't know. It's hard to isolate how good JJ McCarthy is. We're talking about the best quarterback. Uh, coming back for a playoff contender, I don't. But I also, I'm not really sure that matters, just because they've got so much around him to like. So Nathan, it it, it does feel like, I don't know. I'll ask you this: What component of JJ McCarthy's success in the Ohio State Michigan game last year was that it was a surprise? That, as Jimmy said, they they were a run first team. They kind of he was a game manager through the first 11 games of the season. And then he came out and while Ohio state was blowing coverages, made some throws. And again, to his credit, what I still think is the game changing play of the Ohio state, Michigan game, Jim Knowles dials up the blitz on third down. Jim, Jim McCarthy throws off his back foot, makes the throw, break the tackle. Michigan guy runs for a touchdown. I don't know that JJ McCarthy is going to surprise Ohio state this year, Nathan. So does that mean he won't be as effective? Did that, it was that a necessary component of that? For JJ McCarthy, or should we think, yeah, man, it's got a five star. People can be ready for him and he still can be good. Yeah, I've probably backed away a little bit from describing it as a true element of surprise there. The more you evaluate that game and dig into it and the way that they talk about that game, like those those plays that were botched, were they botched because of sheer surprise, or did a guy just blow the play? And uh, I think it's more the latter. And I think to play at this level, you have to be able to adjust in the moment. I don't think you can really use surprise as an excuse. So I I think it was much more a reflection of an underlying lack of technique slash just Well, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you there. I'm going to interrupt you there. I'm going to interrupt you there because we've covered all that. We've covered all the stuff at Ohio State Blue. How good is J.J. McCarthy? Like, do you think well, JJ McCarthy was good against Ohio State last year, or do you think Ohio State just blew stuff and most competent quarterbacks would have taken advantage of it? Well, I think the, those things were probably there to be taken advantage of by other quarterbacks and, and weren't throughout the year. So I would say that he's he's better than that. Um, but to me, it's not so much it's not so much an element of surprise. I think it's more of going in and you know, as as Jimmy was just saying. That this that offense is not built to be led by JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy is not necessarily tasked with going out and winning games for Michigan the way Ohio State's quarterback is. But I think they came in with a great game plan of how to attack that Ohio State offense, and he fully took advantage of it. So Ohio State fans are not, 
accustomed to being worried about the Michigan quarterback. Now, they're not accustomed to being worried about Michigan, right? Not for a while. Not since this century. But when you look at the history of this, J.J. McCarthy, like Cade McNamara, you know, he was good. He was solid. But Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and, and Blake Corman, Hassan Haskins, won that game in 2021. It wasn't that Cade, Cade McNamara blew the doors off Ohio State. Shea Patterson never really lived up to the hype. You know, John O'Corn, Brandon Peters, Wilton Spake, Jake Rudock was fine the one year he was here. Devin Gardner was like a good, solid football player. I think he played great in 2013. Um, Denard Robinson was, was scary, was sort of like the Michigan version of Braxton Miller, but that was a very specific kind of quarterback play, kind of like Braxton, like he'll kill you with his legs, but he's not necessarily going to stand there and, you know, throw for 300 yards on you. You know, Chad Henney, once upon a time, I mean, he was good and Michigan was good then, but again, I, I, you didn't necessarily live in fear of Chad Henney, even though he was a five-star recruit. And then you're getting back into like Tom Brady, Brian Greasy kind of stuff. Steven, it's an it's a Ohio State usually has the better quarterback, especially like since Ryan Day got here. But even, you know, you're going back to well, who has the better quarterback when it's Terrell Pryor? Who has the better quarterback when it's Braxton Miller, when it's Troy Smith, when it's Craig Krenzel? I mean, more it's the Ohio State. Offense is winning the quarterback battle, Stephen. And the question this year is, who will have the better quarterback on the last Saturday in November? And I think at the very least right now, isn't isn't J.J. McCarthy a little bit ahead in that discussion just because he's played for a year and Kyle McCord and Devin Brown haven't? Or should Ohio State fans be thinking, no, 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 no. Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and Todd Fitch and Brian Hart, and I'll have this ready to go by November and Ohio State's going to have the better quarterback. I think the answer to that is both. Just logistically speaking, J.J. McCarthy is ahead because we know to an extent what he is. He's a proven commodity. He's been in the playoffs the last two years. He played a big role in both of those playoff games, both of those playoff appearances. We don't know that much about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown right now. We know a few practices, and we know an Akron game two years ago when Kyle McCord was 18 years old. That's not enough information there to make it a significant statement that, oh, that J.J. McCarthy doesn't have the lead. So going into the season, he is going to be considered the better quarterback. Is that still going to be the case by November? That's a whole nother discussion that based on reputation and what we've seen from the last couple of quarterbacks, you can have a sense and believe that at worst it's equal between Ohio State's quarterback and Michigan quarterback, but there's no way right now you can believe that J.J. McCarthy doesn't have at least a decent lead on where Ohio State's quarterback situation is. Can I I jump in real quick here, Doug? Yeah. I want to say, because I think think a lot of the perceptions of those quarterbacks are going to be colored by the pieces around them. You know, Ohio State has these amazing receivers and Michigan's got this great uh, line of scrimmage and backfield. And should the conversation, like, should the conversation be more who like who has the like which supporting cast is better suited to elevate those those quarterbacks the more better than it because like well, like Nathan said Michigan's offense isn't designed to be led by JJ McCarthy Ohio State's offense it may, may eventually be designed to be led by Devin Brown or Kyle McCord but in the beginning is is it not going to be relying heavily on the weapons they have well, everybody's defined by what's around them. I, I mean, to me, it goes back to I, th- I think we can look at the end of the Ohio State Georgia game, right? 
And CJ Stroud was trying to do it at the end without his best guys. No Kate Stover, no Marvin Harrison Jr., no Mayan Williams, no Trevion Henderson. Like it was was handicapped. But Stetson Bennett, when he came out and need Georgia needed a touchdown drive late in the game, Stetson Bennett came out and led a touchdown drive late in the game. So to me, it's like that situation, right? Knowing the context around you, we're going to get to the rest of the offense on both sides here in a second, but who would you rather have? And it's such an interesting, obvious comparison. And we're going to get it this year of Kyle McCord's starter that Ryan Day picked Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy gave the inflammatory quotes, inflammatory quotes about Ohio State in that moment. J.J. McCarthy could be here in Columbus right now. He's not. He's in Ann Arbor. I don't know if Kyle McCord would be in Ann Arbor if, if Ryan Day had picked opposite. Maybe Kyle McCord would be at Rutgers, right? Or whatever. Then his dad play at Rutgers. Poor Greg Schiano. Come on, Ryan. Give Greg a break. But like that idea, and, and I guess the question is, and we are going to get into the mission run game, as good as it is, I don't know, Nathan, is not the final evolution of Michigan as a true national title contender a passing game that is almost as dangerous as a run game? I don't know. I don't think these days you can run your way to a national title. And so if Michigan is going to be the best version we have seen of Michigan these past three years, to me, that must include quarterback play that is at a very, very high level on its own, independent of what Michigan is capable of in the run game. But isn't what Michigan's been doing these last couple of years sort of a Georgia light kind of thing? Like, because... that Georgia didn't have that level of quarterback play. They had a quarterback who was in terms of like him being a NFL prospect, that sort of thing, guy that's going to like light you up and carry a team on his back. He's going to be um, a guy who steps up and is very efficient and, and can be explosive and takes advantage of what a defense gives him in relation to the, the total, the totality of that offense. And I feel like that's a little bit more like what JJ McCarthy was and, and maybe still will be this coming year. I don't look at him as, being like on the verge of maybe I'm wrong, like that kind of NFL prospect. Um, but that that's more what I think you can see. Georgia proved you can win a national championship with it. Now, I don't know that, that that would mean that Michigan would have to have a full roster at the level that Georgia does. I don't know that they can pull that off. So they probably do actually need maybe the quarterback that would show up the the Russell Wilson that somehow gets to Wisconsin or what Ohio State's done getting its quarterbacks. Or it needs J.J. McCarthy to turn into that. Sure. But there is a generally there is a path for a team to do that. I don't know that Michigan can do it because it, it relies so much on the top to bottom talent in that roster. I do think that Stetson Bennett, like the way that George used him, is maybe similar to what JJ McCarthy was last year. Like the Stetson Bennett of 2021 and how they used him is probably similar to the way Michigan was using JJ McCarthy in 2022. But they did lean on him a little bit more in 2022, and it turned him. He ended up being the Heisman finalist because of that. JJ McCarthy, if they lean into more of him this year as a second year starting quarterback, really two and a half year starter with the way they used him at times in 2021. Plus, he's just his base talent level is just better than Stetson Bennett's base talent level. That can be just as big of a problem, maybe even more of a problem, and probably makes up for the fact that Michigan's just base level of talent level is at the same level of what Georgia's base level of talent is if your quarterback kind of raises the ceiling a little bit and you can rely on him a little bit more because he's got experience. It's it's so funny the way we're framing this conversation because, Doug, I think you're right. The final evolution of Michigan football is 
to to take that next step as a as an as a passing game. That's why you go get five star quarterbacks, right? At the same time, isn't part of what's been working against Ohio State these last two years the contrast in styles? So it's kind of, it's it's kind of like and and but and by the way, if you're if you're shooting to be you know the team that can score forty five points through the air, well, that's Ohio State's territory. They got that figured out already, and you'd be hard pressed to be as good at that be as good at them as them at that if you tried to do it if that's all you focused on for the next 10 years they have come pretty darn close to maximizing that style um so it's like i'm thinking about another of the question i was asking ohio state spring uh spring game fans this week like would if would you rather beat michigan this year or would you rather win a national championship if you're michigan i I feel like the way you're doing things now is the best path towards continuing to beat ohio state but if you want to punch higher than that, then you might have to make some adjustments here. First of all, it is an honor to be mentioned on go. the podcast regarding the greatest rivalry in sports. And if J.J. McCarthy would like to take over as the finest quarterback in all the land, I would be honored for J.J. to be the next Stetson Bennett. He could be Stetson Bennett the fifth, as far as I am concerned. It does feel like two podcasts. It, it, it again, it's the it's the split personality discussion of this entire rivalry, which is: Are we talking about who's going to win in the game, or are we talking about who has the better chance to win the national title? And I think, as we all agree, and the people listening agree, it's it's not the same conversation. So, to me. You need a little more J.J. McCarthy in your offense is a can Michigan take the next step because they've made two straight playoffs. The first playoff, they got to Georgia in the semifinals like, well, that's not going to work. And I was like, hey, congratulations. You're one of the four best teams, but you are not one of the two best teams. It is clear. Then year two, they kind of blow it against TCU. They get a bad call. They get a touchdown taken away. J.J. throws a couple picks, right? And I think if Michigan and TCU play 10 times, Michigan probably wins seven or eight, right? But they didn't win. And does that mean they were going to go beat Georgia? Uh, Probably still not. So I think you need more J.J. McCarthy because, you know, J.J. McCarthy in the end against Ohio State last year, 12 of 24 for 263, three touchdowns. Stetson Bennett against Ohio State last year, 23 of 34, 398 and three touchdowns, right? Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett had a game last year. Georgia was dead against Missouri, and Stetson Bennett saved them. Right? That's the thing of you You can run the ball, you can play defense, but can your quarterback save you on a bad day? Can a quarterback bring you back in the fourth quarter? And to me, it's not about Michigan changing its identity. It's about J.J. McCarthy elevating his level of play because I do think Ohio State's going to be more prepared for what Michigan does well, which means – Michigan might have to do the next thing. And by the way, they did the the next thing, Nathan, very well last year. But a lot of it was Ohio State mistakes, maybe more than it was extraordinary pass game things from Michigan. They were prepared to attack that way because it was an Ohio State weakness. We just came off a of spring, 15 spring practices where we said, man, the Ohio State secondary looks improved. If that's not a weakness anymore, I don't know if Michigan can just Corum and Edwards itself to victory again. I, I I don't know. I think they're gonna need a little more McCarthy in their lives to beat Ohio State. And then I'm pretty sure they're gonna need more McCarthy to do the next thing, which frankly, 
nobody listening to this podcast here. Hey, hey, Buckeye Talk, let's talk about whether Michigan can win the national title. That's not the conversation unless the national title game is Ohio State versus Michigan, and we will make that part of the conversation. But, Nathan, you know what I'm saying? I just think that the next thing either way includes more excellent J.J. McCarthy play. Yeah, and I think just a a small correction because it wasn't that they Quorum and Edwards them to death last year. It was mostly just Edwards. Quorum was hurt and it was not a factor in that game. And that's further reason why I think, and in retrospect, it wasn't because Ohio State, as much as they had to prepare for Quorum to play, they had to also have in the back of their mind, well, if he doesn't, here's how maybe Michigan would would counter that. Um, But I think you're right. I think as as it's just, it is the next evolution, not necessarily just for JJ McCarthy, but of this like, trilogy if we're counting the 2021 and 2022 losses as like the first two parts and then now we're going into 2023 like this is the the resolution of this this trilogy here in front of us and um what now does uh, how does ohio state respond i think ohio state needs to respond with with setting a tone on defense and making jj mccarthy react to that because there there's going to be growth he's going to be a better quarterback you would assume when they see him in this november than he they saw last year so let's play a J.J. McCarthy game because everybody likes games. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think J.J. McCarthy was last year? And what do you think he might be this year? Based on maturation, based on how he looked in the spring, based on the fact that he's not in a quarterback battle, based on that he has a whole bunch of his skill guys back. And I'll start. I'll say I think last year J.J. McCarthy might have been a 5 and I think this year he might be an eight. So, Stephen, play the J.J. McCarthy game. What do you think he was last year? On the whole, right? Fact, obviously, what he does against Ohio State and TCU and Purdue matter a little bit more, Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game. But what was he on the whole, and what do you think he might be this year? I thought he was a four last year. I just thought he had a 10-level day against Ohio State. But there were some other games where it felt like, Ugh. I hope they don't have to ever put the game in his hands because it's just not going to go. So I'll give him a four. And then I think he can be eight and a half, maybe flirting with a nine this season. Jimmy, what do you think? I think he was closer to a six, six and a half last year. I haven't watched all the snaps, but I mean, just like he was very efficient. And, and so he doesn't have a lot of the, the big time counting stats. That's a, lot, a lot of it is because they were blowing everyone out. But he I found this stat a couple of weeks ago. And you have to do some jiggering to make it work because it's it's a spoiler alert. It's comparing JJ McCarthy to freshman Trevor Lawrence. JJ uh, McCarthy threw for twenty seven hundred yards, twenty two touchdowns, five picks last year. The only other quarterback to replicate that stat line in their first season as a full time starter is Trevor Lawrence since like two thousand. I think is how far that back that that college that football reference uh, filter went. But like that's not nothing. So. And I, I say six because of that. I also say six because I don't know that you can go from a four to a nine or a five to a nine. Like, I think that that leap has to be a little bit more gradual if you're going to pop off the screen like that. Nathan, what do you have? So like you and Steven, my initial reaction is to give a lower score because he really got loose in the turns a lot last year. Like, he really messed with some stuff at times last year. But do you guys, do you guys have his stats in front of you by any chance? I like, do. Don't don't bring him up. Don't bring him up. I just do. You know how many interceptions he had last year? In Jimmy just said he had five. 
322. Yeah. He did. Okay, I, I missed that. Yeah, five interceptions. Yeah, 22 to five interception to touch touchdown interception ratio, which is which is not as good as I thought it was going to be because it just seemed like maybe every time he threw one, it got returned for a touchdown because I think there was one against Penn State also. Um, but I was gonna say I was gonna say more like a six last year because there was enough of that that I thought was holding them back at times throughout the year. But I, I'm with you guys more towards like an eight this year because if you that gets refined out of a guy a year now you've got you know months and months to like study film and work through that and find ways to keep that uh, opportunistic big play ability while also kind of whittling out some of those mistakes uh, you can elevate your game a lot and it was 14 to 2 touchdowns to interceptions going into the Ohio State game because he threw three of his five picks in the last two games of the year against Purdue Mm. and TCU and he threw eight of his touchdowns in the last three games of the year against Ohio State Purdue and TCU so he is perhaps the one of the odder combinations of efficient and crazy that you have seen in college football lately because he is efficient but also he'll have plays where he throws holds the ball for seven seconds and then throws a 23-yard completion on a rope, and then he'll have a play where he holds the ball for seven seconds, and then he hits a defender in the chest, and it's like, what are you doing? He's like Johnny Manziel light, but then you look at his stats, it's like, oh, it's kind of efficient. So he's hard to get a handle on, but I like he might be the perfect – is that not a description of Jim Harbaugh? Efficient yet crazy? Is he the perfect Jim Harbaugh quarterback? And if you are going to be this, this Miss Michigan team – of defense and run game and offensive line. And then it's like, hey, our our quarterback is efficient like 70% of the time, and then 30% of the time is crazy. I think the 30% crazy, it's what gives you a chance to win a national title. Because I, Jimmy, you're not, and now we're back to Ken Michigan win a national title. Sorry, Buckeye Talk listeners. We'll get off that in a second. But what we have seen, I think when you have a great defense in 21, Michigan has a great defense, Aiden Hutchinson, Dax Hill, David Ojabo, all those guys. You can efficient yourself to a win over Ohio State because your defense is so good. 2022, the defense is a good collection, not as many stars, but you could not have, they did not efficient themselves to victory against Ohio State. Ohio State made like six colossal defensive mistakes that led to five easy Michigan touchdowns, and that's what's won the game. If you go back inside the stats, and you can't, but you take out the big plays, like down to down, Ohio State's a better team in that game. But but it's not necessarily Michigan's greatness that's the cause there. It's Ohio State's mistakes. So if you don't have Aiden Hutchinson, so you can't just be efficient, and Ohio State's not blowing as many plays, Jimmy, so you can't count on that. Now, I do believe Michigan will have to create some explosives beyond their efficiency that maybe Ohio State won't just hand them. And now we are in the realm of the 30% of J.J. McCarthy craziness, which might be exactly what Michigan needs. And, and again, it's it's a really fascinating dichotomy because the narrative around J.J. McCarthy during the spring was, you know, can we get that 30% to, to 20%, right? Like they want him to refine himself a little bit and you know to take those check downs that are there don't hold on to the ball for so long as often as you do but to your point Doug at the same time in certain moments you just need the guy to to go for a scramble and make stuff happen 
I had not thought the more I, the more I, the more we talk about this, the more it is like JJ McCarthy is such a fascinating case study for college football, particularly because of the school where he plays because they had the paint by numbers guy and Cade McNamara right before him. And they experienced unprecedented success in the Jim Marble era. And now they have this next guy who they're kind of trying to like, can you, I guess the question here could be, can you, can you control when the crazy comes out? Right. And, and can, can you refine it a little bit? Can you make it 80, 20 maybe? And then can we go 15, five on crazy, good, crazy, bad? Yeah. Yeah. But right. It's, make the crazy better. It's not get rid of it. It is not get rid of it entirely. I don't think if you're trying to get over the top. Okay. That was a lot of JJ McCarthy, but he's a super interesting and important guy in this rivalry and this game. And Jimmy, I know you're working on some stuff, some of the villainous parts of JJ McCarthy, which is how can you have a rivalry? If you don't have some villains, we're going to have some stuff. We have some stuff planned for Ohio state, Michigan. That's going to be coming at cleveland.com maybe in about a month. We might have some special stuff planned for you, but we just couldn't wait to get to it on the pod. So when we come back, I want to talk more about the offensive side of the ball, comparing these two teams. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Let's talk about the offensive line because I, I find, Nathan, a, a very interesting direct contrast here because Michigan is basically bringing back like three starters, right? It's Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan at guard. Those guys are both back. And then uh, the one guy at right tackle, Colston Bartholomew. Keegan Carson Barnhart. Cameron, Carson yeah. Barnhart. All these guys, they all sound like hedge fund. So I, I gave Setson Bennett a hard time for having a hedge fund manager name. The entire Michigan offensive line is hedge fund manager, hedge fund manager. So, and two more. That, how about this? So their center is going to be probably Drake Nugent, who's happy to invest your portfolio. Transfer from Stanford, right? Multiple year starter at Stanford. And their probable left tackle is Ladarius Henderson, Multi-year starter at Arizona State, Nathan. And so we have seen this now, right? Olu Oluwatimi was the best center in the nation last year. One year at Michigan and out because he came from Virginia and I was going to the NFL. In a world where Ohio State is has three homegrown guys battling at the two tackle spots to start. Well, they have four. Throw George Fitzpatrick in there. Michigan's like, now nah, we're good. We'll take the finished products from somewhere else and tell them they're going to start here and here you go. How different would it be if Ohio State had gotten a two-year starter at tackle from Arizona State to throw into this, Nathan? It is very interesting that if this becomes a thing, I'm not saying it's the best thing, but if you can't, if you're not going to develop a bunch of five stars, if you're not going to have Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler, and right now Ohio State doesn't, 
So what's the order of things you'd have? I'd take Paris Johnson and Luke Whippler. That's first on my list of what I want. Second is the guy from Stanford and the guy from Arizona State who have started for four and are coming here to start. And then third is, eh, I don't know. Michigan's going about this a certain way, Nathan, and they've kind of, I think, established something on the offensive line, and they have two plug-and-play starters in the transfer portal probably ready to go right now, and Ohio State doesn't. I think it's a contrast, too, to to the conversation we were having uh, on Monday's pod when we were talking about the portal, because guys who are at a Power 5 and are leaving because there's a better opportunity somewhere else which I think both of these guys apply to is different than a guy who happened to have been a starter at a power five and maybe has lost that job. And now Ohio state, because of its disparate, desperate situation might be grabbing those guys and hoping they turn into something. I think you're right that, that Michigan, you can go back to last year, like you said, with Ola with Timmy, like they have better capitalized on whatever, if it's a, if it's a relationship that dates back to recruiting, if it's something else, like they have better, grabbed those plug and play guys. Now, Ohio State didn't need that last year with Ola Timmy, obviously. Like you can't you can't say that Ohio State's offensive line approach was worse than Michigan's offensive line approach going into last year. I mean what Ohio State's, you know, they're sending one definite right. first rounder to the NFL, maybe two, um, and another guy that's gonna probably be a day two guy. So like that's and and Donovan Jackson's really good. So um but it's it, Certainly, in terms of like fixing it on the back end, um, it, it's you can't really argue with what Michigan's done. I don't know, Stephen. Like, is it is there when it comes to this specific offensive line thing? Is this something that Ohio State should be noting, or is this just what Michigan is doing well right now? And and with the way they play, listen, all offensive linemen love the run block. They want to get after it, and maul guys, and. This is a play. It's just like if you were like, hey, Michigan, you know, it'd be a good idea. Why don't you look at what Ohio State's doing in its receiver recruiting and try to replicate that? See if you could do that. It's like, as Jimmy said earlier, it's like, that's not what we do. Don't make us be what we're not. So is this is this a similar comparison? If I'm saying, hey, Ohio State, why don't you go get more Pac-12 ready-made starters to plug into your offensive line? Would Justin Fry and Ryan Day say, well, that's fine for them. Congratulations. Like, that's not what we're trying to do here. Probably when you're talking about the style, I think is when you start, that's what's most important. The style, the wide receiver Ohio State needs to do what it needs to do is very different than the style of the wide receiver that Michigan needs, which is how you end up getting lower rated wide receivers. I don't know if that's apples to apples with offensive linemen in terms of just the talent level, but as far as style, it makes sense why Michigan has been able to get some of the offensive linemen that maybe haven't maybe considered Ohio State or just it didn't end up at Ohio State because they want a certain style. But also you pair that with, Ohio State's offensive line talent acquisition, whether it be portal or recruiting, isn't up to par with where Ohio State should be while Michigan's is. So it's a little bit of both still. Yeah, it's interesting how it it just could be a direct – it's a direct contrast right now because Ohio State has the questions that we've talked about all spring on the offensive line. Uh, Jimmy, do you have a sense of how good Michigan feels about its offensive line with the way things stand right now? I mean, they feel great. <laughs> it's it's they like you said. They have three uh, incumbent starters. Uh, they've got Drake Nugent. They've got Ladarius Henderson. Uh, should be noted that Darius Henderson is is going to be on campus this summer. And Drake Nugent did not do much during the spring. Didn't play in the spring game. They also have Miles Hinton, Drake Nugent's teammate from Stanford, who started 15 games at tackle. Uh, I think two or three seasons there, and was a former five star recruit. 
maybe he figures in the rotation. It just feels like they have an embarrassment of, of riches over there on the along the line up front. And part of that is because they can like there is no better offer in the transfer portal than playing time, obviously. It also helps to have the offensive line coach uh, who has won the Joe Moore Award or who has presided over the offensive line that has won the Joe Moore Award two straight years. And now he's the offensive coordinator. So you can offensive linemen don't typically get to have that sort of line to the play caller, right? Like that's it's a they have a unique sell over there right now. Like the proof is in the pudding on one hand because they just keep turning out great O lines, the style fits. And then because they're so good at developing guys and the style fits, they keep sending guys to the league. So they keep needing guys. So it's a, <laughs> the machine is churning pretty well over there. Right. So like that's, that's what Michigan does. And, and we, you just have to acknowledge that. And then what they also do is run the ball. And I, there's not going to be a better running back duo in the country than Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And Don, by the way, as Nathan noted, no Blake Corum in the Ohio State game last year. And Donovan Edwards was doing it with his left hand. <laughs> it was the one guy was out and the other guy's good hand was broken. And the guy with the broken hand still ran for 900 yards against Ohio State. Jimmy, what's the vibe on them? Like the way people at Michigan are talking about what Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, I I kind of wanted Blake Corum to leave because I sort of thought Donovan Edwards was going to be an interesting Heisman candidate. I don't think either of them are going to win it with the way they're going to use these guys. Blake Corum's still going to be first up. And again, Blake Corum, as close as CJ Stroud was to the Heisman last year, I think if Blake Corum plays against Ohio State, plays against Purdue, and Michigan does what it does, and it's just if Blake Corum runs for 200-plus yards against Ohio State instead of Donovan Edwards, I think Blake Corum wins the Heisman. I think he would have won the Heisman because people like to vote for Heisman winners who are on playoff teams, and Caleb Williams wasn't on a playoff team. So I do not think it's too much to say that an injury potentially cost Blake Corum a Heisman, and now he's still there, Jimmy. What are they thinking about that run game? I think particularly as it pertains to Blake Corum, the interesting thing about him is that he's only carried the ball like 10 times against Ohio State, right? Because he was hurt last year and he was playing behind Hassan Haskins two years ago. So particularly as it pertains to this conversation, nobody wants to run for 250 yards against Ohio State more than Blake Corum. Not that it matters. Like, there's a whole lot more that goes into running the ball than that. But that's I think that's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a motivation that he mentioned for coming back when they interviewed him on the sideline on BTN during their spring game. One of the first people, I think, I'm trying to remember the order of these words, but he said in some order that he wanted to win a national championship and beat Ohio State again. So that was on his mind. Obviously, so was a boatload of NIL money that they raised for the guys that they had who were thinking about the draft. But from the, the Blake Horn perspective is is a daunting one, I think, from the Ohio State view. Donovan Edwards is just like, they're kind of, we kind of just scratched the surface there because, again, they have, they have these two back systems. But Blake Horn was so good last year that, we didn't get to see a ton of Donovan Edwards, and when we did get to see it in the game last year, it's like, well, damn, that's that's why he was such a highly touted recruit. So, the this is it's this is the layup part of the conversation. Like Michigan knows exactly Michigan knows exactly what it has in its in its backfield. It's two of the best. Like you could argue that they're they're two of the top five, two of the top whatever running backs. Like if Donovan Edwards went into the transfer portal, I'd like the list of teams who wouldn't be calling him would be very short. And for whatever it's worth, it's spring game talk. It's the running backs coach talking about the running backs. 
Mike Hart said at the spring game that he thought they could feel the full running back room with the guys they played during the spring game, which did not include Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards. So that position is about as healthy as it could possibly be. So they're going to be great at that. And again, it's just an interesting contrast. J.J. McCarthy could be a Buckeye. I think Donovan Edwards could be a Buckeye. Ohio State picked Travion Henderson. Donovan Edwards goes to Michigan. And J.J. McCarthy of Donovan Edwards got to show it last year in a way that J.J. Mc- that's Kyle McCord and Travion Henderson did not because Travion Henderson was hurt. So I do think that this is where I want to go here now, Stephen, because everybody understands the contrast in styles. I think everybody understands how good that Michigan running back room can be. Okay, on the other side, how much better can the Ohio State running back room be if it's healthy compared to last year when they were starting a linebacker at running back in that game and chip train them. But if Ohio State, Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson, I mean, that is in range of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, right? It's, I don't know. Can they be 85%, which is probably enough. But then Steven, I want to make a direct receiver comparison here because we've had a lot of Michigan talk so far, by the way, if we're driving you crazy and you're an Ohio State fan, we talk about Ohio State like 300 days a year. We're trying to give you a look. The thing I want you to come away from, and I felt like we tried to do this last year during the season, is just Michigan's good. So whatever the conversation is in the next sentence, the first sentence has to be Michigan's good. Michigan's good. So we're trying to tell you how good they are and then what that means. But the first sentence is Michigan's good. But Steven, at receiver, Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson are back as the top two guys. They are part of what Jimmy's talking about. Michigan ponies up the NIL and some dudes stay when they could have gone. It feels like maybe the next guy up when people talk about receivers at Michigan is Tyler Morris, who is a second year guy. And in the class of 2022, by the 247 Sports Composite, He was the number 22 overall receiver in that class, Stephen. Ohio State got three recruits at receiver, ranked above him. And our conversation around the second-year receivers at Ohio State is like, I don't know if they can play here. They're like, well, they can't get past the starters, and the first-year guys are on their heels. And they're all ranked above the guy who is probably the third-best receiver at Michigan. Caleb Burton and Caleb Brown, and uh, who's the other guy? Keon Grays and Kojo. Keon Grays. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Kojo's not quite high. Kojo was the 26th receiver. So Kojo was 26, Caleb Burton's 21, Keon Grays is 14, and Caleb Brown is 13. Those are Ohio State's four second-year receivers. Tyler Morris was number 22 for Michigan, number 22 receiver in that class, and Darius Clemens is number 24. So – that's the conversation here. If they were, if Keon Grays was at Michigan, we'd be like, oh, Keon Grays, he might be a guy who's on the rise for the Wolverines. And here we're like, I don't know, is he 11? Is he the 11th guy in the receiver room? Here's the question. And I think we saw it against Georgia. And it's, I think it's, to me, it might be the question. Can the Ohio State receiver room beat Michigan? Now, we're going to have a defense conversation at the end here. We're going to get to some texter things. But when we got to the Georgia game, Stephen, that's kind of where we were. Okay. Here's where, here we are. It's C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. at Emeka Buka. Can they do this? And they almost did. But that hasn't been enough. It, has, it hasn't gotten them over the top, right? Is that what Ohio State fans should be thinking? Hey, Michigan's good. Let's start the sentence. 
Michigan's good, comma, but Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the antidote to that. Is that possible, Stephen? I want to say no. And because, and this, I mean, I'm pro throw the ball 65 times a game, only run it when it's third and two. And even then, play action and throw the ball again. Uh, but when you say it against Georgia, it's a different concept because why did we think that? Because it's an indoor game and your season's, I mean, you already kind of put an asterisk in your season because you lost to Michigan. So, hey, Ryan Day, let your hair down and just toss that thing around the yard. And let's see what happens. Plus, Alabama just showed you a year ago that when they're healthy, that's how it works. With the Michigan game, you're dealing with weather. What if it's snowing in Ann Arbor again? Or what if it's bad wind that day and so Kyle just can't rip it through the wind because it's just bad that day? So that takes that element off the table of, oh, you have Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. I think as good as these receivers are in that game, because you have all these other elements you have to think about, Michigan clearly has the best running back duo, maybe in the country, but definitely in the Big Ten. And then second might be Penn State's with Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen and what they were able to do as true freshmen, which I mean they're going to get two more years of that. But I don't – third is probably Ohio State where things stand right now. Can Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams healthy prove that they're just as good as Katron Allen, Nicholas Singleton, and Donovan Edwards and Blake Corm? Because I think that's a game changer because those two can be just as explosive when they're at their best, but they're not as consistent as those other two duos I just named. So I think that might be a bigger a bigger X factor than whether or not Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. Because if weather permits it, I don't think that anybody's doubtful. It's more questions about can Travion Henderson be what he was as a freshman, but like two years developed from that, and can Mayan Williams be what he was when he was healthy last season? So the hard thing about this, Nathan, is I'm going to read the uh, passing stats from two years ago when Ohio State lost in the snow globe in Ann Arbor. C.J. Stroud, 34 of 49 for 394 and two touchdowns. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 11 catches, 127. Garrett Wilson, 10 catches, 119. Chris Olave, 7 catches, 88. They chucked it around in iffy weather and lost by two touchdowns because they couldn't stop Michigan's run game and because at certain moments Michigan got pressure and made some things happen, right? And Ohio State couldn't convert a third down running the ball early in the second half. I I don't know. I just don't know if we have to get more sophisticated with the conversation around the Ohio State-Michigan game, or it still is the thing that Ohio State does best. And it's the thing that I still think they do better than anybody in the country. And will Kyle McCord in year one be what C.J. Stroud was, or be, you know, but C.J. Stroud was in year two? I think that's a lot to ask, but I do think they will throw it well. And I don't know, like, Nathan, have we conclusively discovered that throwing the ball or even throwing the ball well, because CJ threw for 349 last year, and Emeka Abuka, 9 for 125, Marvin Harrison Jr., 7 for 120. So they've had 200-yard receivers in each of the last two years against Michigan and lost both games. So does it have to be more than... Ohio State's great at throwing the ball. There has to be something else in the equation for Ohio State to win this game. Or no, or no, just lean in more. And even though you, your big receivers had big games last two years, have 25% even bigger games and you'll get there. I think we were two points away 
a two-point swing from having a lot of articles last year about how the only way Ohio State won a national championship was losing to Michigan. Because we talked, and well, not not we, Ryan Day said it. The, the attitude that he talked about Ohio State wanting to have going into the Peach Bowl and then the way that they then went out and played offensively in the Peach Bowl, even with all that chaos in terms of their uh, personnel that was happening over the course of that game, was a reflection of what they felt they weren't, the, if, if the identity they didn't have at Michigan. And Ryan Day, has, it seems like every time he, he gets in front of a mic, he's talking about giving up explosive touchdowns, and it's a point worth taking that it definitely hurt them that day. But like, and I was just going by the drive chart, but I think these numbers are right. This is the second half. I mean, following up on the numbers you were giving, the second half against Michigan last year, six six drives, 17 net yards, punt, zero yards, punt, seven yards, punt, 52 yards, get to the Michigan nine, settle for field goal, 69 yards, pick, 12 yards, pick when they're trying to come back at the end of the game because now they're down. Michigan keeps like conclusively decisively winning these second halves of games. And I think that more than personnel, I think there needed to be a adjustment of purpose of the way that they played offense. And I thought you saw it against Georgia. Some of that is something we're going to talk about, I think, in the next podcast, right, Doug, as far as like intangibles and mentality and some other things that are sort of floating around this from the Ohio State perspective right now. And maybe that does swirl into that. And yes, Ohio State did have some things going on. You know, Chip Trainum was the main running back that day. That was not plan D going into the season for Chip Trainum to be. He wasn't a running back three weeks earlier or whatever. But I, you know what I'm saying here, right? But I think that we saw that that Michigan game, that Michigan loss, and the way they lost it and the way I think they felt about themselves, including Ryan Day, the way they lost that game, as much as they want to talk about giving up a couple explosive runs at the end and the other explosives, that they felt like, offensively that was a bit of a gaffe and they had to have a better they had to better capitalize on their identity the thing you're talking about i mean be be pass first i don't think that's the thing i think it's capitalizing on that i was i was looking recently um at i even started to write it i wrote a text about it that i never sent about how uh, we were talking about the the mini dynasty thing and there hasn't been one by a northern team since uh, Nebraska, when they won three out of four, three national championships in four years in the mid nineties, perfect example of a team that in the modern era, like that offense just would not be a thing. But at that time they maximized it to its full potential. And I think that Ohio state as explosive as it's been, maybe this is giving credence to some of the things Kevin Wilson was saying, um, last year that maybe they haven't fully maximized within within this explosiveness, within all this production, I think it can be maximized even more. They need to maximize that identity in the most crucial games of the year. They didn't do it last year against Michigan. They didn't do it the year before against Michigan either. Okay. When we come back, we're going to look at some texter answers to some Ohio State-Michigan questions, and then we're going to delve into the defensive side of the ball for both teams. And we're going to do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, let me get to some of these, a a couple of the questions that I asked that are specific to the football. And so here was a question that I asked of both teams. How good do you think Ohio State football will be? How good do you think Michigan football will be this season? And the, the, the best answer was one of the four best teams in the country, strong national title contender, okay? Next was solid top 10 team with playoff upside. And then the last one was top 25 team needs some luck and help to contend for the playoff. It's pretty close here. 
The highest answer, one of the four best teams, 46% of the people said that for Ohio State. 37% of the people said that for Michigan. So 9% more for the Buckeyes. Solid top 10 team, 49% Ohio State, 60% for Michigan. And then 4% uh, top 25 for Ohio State, 3% top 25 for Michigan. So the vast majority, 96 97%, think they're both going to be top 10 teams. There are a few more people who think that Ohio State has a chance to be a strong national title contender. But neither team was strong national title contender, the winner, which I was a little surprised about. So I think this tells us a little bit something of if people are listening to podcasts and hearing us talk about the tackles, the Ohio State tackles, and that maybe the quarterback job has not been won yet. It's not over 50% for Ohio State as a playoff team. What do you, Jimmy, what do you think Michigan thinks it is? My vote in both of those would be top four team for both teams, which I already said. I'll wait. I'm going to rip myself here because I'm going to get to this survey thing. I am 1,000% fully prepared for an Ohio State-Michigan national title game this year. I was 0% prepared for it a year ago, and we will get to that in a second, but we're 56 minutes in. I wanted to state, that's the thesis statement. Get ready. The 12-team playoff is coming, and of course that makes it possible. The 12-team playoff makes everything possible. Last year, the idea of an Ohio State-Michigan national title game, my brain could not handle it. but. I've come around. So the Michigan, I'm prepared. Get prepared. Everyone, like, build a bunker. Stop by, Start buying, like, a whole bunch of, like, tortilla chips and light beer and Diet Coke and put it in your basement and save it for the night when Ohio State and Michigan play for the national title game. Jimmy, does Michigan think they're ready to do that? What you watched at the spring game, what you heard at the spring game, does Michigan, would Michigan fans and players and coaches answer, of course, top four team strong national title contender? I think that's the benchmark for them going forward. They've they've danced into the playoff a couple of times. So now it, it, that's, first of all, that's the natural next step. Second, I know that that locker room feels like they uh, gave away that TCU game last year. I mean, like you said, Doug, they're, I think they were seven and a half point favorites going going into that game. The, the, all the weird circumstances surrounding it, it felt, it felt like, you know, between the two pick sixes and, and the the couple of weird goal line circumstances, I mean, that's, you know, at least 20 points that you didn't have that you should have had and you lost by six, right? So I think absolutely that's what Michigan is shooting for, particularly this year. And, of course, everyone will walk it back at the end of the year, and if they lose in the – first round of the playoff by a field goal, you know, people can always find a way to look at a silver lining, but I think that's the the prism through which they viewed their season as a success or failure is, did we take, did we win a playoff game? Are we, are we actually on the field for the, for the confetti? So I thought Carson Beck for Georgia looked pretty good in the spring game. So like Georgia might've solved this thing. And like Georgia has a bunch of talent they have a couple more receivers this year, but you know, Georgia's not going anywhere. I think Florida state's going to be good. I think Washington's going to be good. Texas might be good. I don't know what's going to happen with Bama. They just lost Bryce Young and Will Anderson. But I, I feel like it's possible, Nathan, that the top of the sport – I don't I don't think this will be peak Georgia. I, I don't know. Like, new oh. quarterback. I, I don't know that the offense 
I don't know that Georgia's offense this year will be as good as it was last year. And I don't know that Georgia's defense this year will be as good as it was two years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that could bring Georgia down a little bit. I think that opens a door for Florida State and Texas and Washington and Oregon and USC and Penn State and a lot of these interesting teams that have been a tier below. I don't know what's going to happen with the Alabama quarterback derby. And also they've just had a, a few more flaws. You know, Clemson, I thought, looked pretty good in its spring game, but Cade Klubnick's a new quarterback. So I think we're, we're, we're smushing everybody together a little bit, which creates the opportunity for the best of Michigan to be good enough to make a national championship game. And I think we've seen it, Nathan. I don't know if Ohio State's going to be as good as last year. Marv is Marv. Marv is Marv. But the run game, if healthy, will be better. The defense should be better. And so even if the offensive line play and quarterback play takes a little bit of a step back, I think it's possible for Ohio State to be at the same level. And so this is where I think this opportunity gets created, Nathan, that that maybe Georgia isn't quite as invincible as it once seems. Same with Bama. And then all of a sudden we're talking about like seven, nine, six, ten teams, throw them in a, in a bag and shake it around and see who falls out. And I would put both Ohio State and Michigan in there and maybe even a little bit above that. So – do you believe an Ohio State-Michigan national title game is a possibility this season? My options were yes, for sure. Yes, but obviously tough for it to happen. And no. Yes, but obviously tough for it to happen. Got 59%. No, got 35%. 7% for yes, for sure, Nathan. I'm trying to create. I'd like to get the 7% yes, for sure. Not that yes, for sure it's going to happen, but yes, for sure it is a possibility. Because like they're both undefeated when we get to the end of the season. The loser is still really good. Like, it's the scenario of last year. There's enough other goofy stuff that happens that there's other one-loss teams that are trying to get in. And the one-loss loser of Ohio State, if that's a 1-2 game, this is basically a scenario that's like, well, Ohio State, Michigan's 1-2. And then the loser is like, man, they're still awesome. Like, what are we doing here? I think that is very possible, Nathan. So I would say, yes, for sure, it is a possibility knowing that if you have an undefeated SEC champ and an undefeated Pac-12 champ and an undefeated Big 12 champ, it's not going to happen. You do need some help because somebody's got to have a loss. Am I too into it, Nathan? Am I too into this idea? I, I understand why you're into it, and you're not into it just for the sake of the rivalry. I think you're into it from, from analyzing things. I think as I sit here in, in mid-April, if I had to put money on one of two things, and that's either – Ohio State, Michigan play for a national championship, or Ohio State is not undefeated going into the Michigan game. I would put it on the second thing. This is a tough schedule, man. And you're saying already right now that Ohio State might not be as good as it was last year. Like this just has more of a 2021 vibe to me right now. You've got to go beat uh, Notre Dame with Sam Hartman. Ohio State might not have the best quarterback in that game. You got to go beat Wisconsin in a tough environment. You've got to go. Uh, you've got the Purdue Bugaboo sitting out there just for fun. You've got to still beat Penn State and Drew Aller, by the way, another really highly touted quarterback that might have some um, some hate for Ohio State that's lingering there that it wants to he wants to take out. You got to go win at Ann Arbor at the end of that. Like it's it's not easy sledding this year for Ohio State, and I think there's enough. Like you're saying, like oh, the run game will be better. Well. The offensive line questions play into whether the run game will be better. And then the 
the offensive line effects on the passing game play into whether how teams will defend and whether that makes it harder to run the ball. You know what I'm saying? Like there's still a lot of unknowns for Ohio state and I'm not trying to be a, a, a doomsday guy here. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. I think Ohio state is a very talented team. And if it does come through in some of these areas, especially defensively, I think, man, they were so on the cusp of, of having a, a breakthrough last year. But um, if it, it, there are still just enough landmines out there that it's hard for me to project right now, I would definitely be, I would probably be in the middle of those three camps. So I wouldn't say no, it's, it's not going to happen, but I would say, I just think it would be tough. Marv, 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 Steven, sorry, Marv, are you into it? Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. And I think the only thing keeping me from yes, for sure, is that I just really don't feel good about this tackle situation right now. Had we left the, had we left spring and even if it wasn't the best version yet, but you felt like you at least liked the direction things were headed. I think I'd be with you. Yes, for sure. Because then it's it's not there's reading the Ohio State standard at a certain position, but then there's also just is that position good enough to not like bite you in the butt? And for the most part, I left the spring feeling like every position is at least that, and some of the positions meet the Ohio State standard, and some of them succeeded. Marv, 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 Marv. He just, he just, he just kind of like succeeds everybody's standard at this point. But all those tackles, especially, because I feel comfortable about where Carson Hensman's headed at center if he continues to you know progress and eventually lock that job down. That tackle situation, man, it's not, it's not good enough to make me feel comfortable that it won't bite them in the butt. And I don't know who the Rondell Moore is to expose it like he did with the second day. I don't know who the Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo is, or even the Kayvon Thibodeau. I know he didn't play in that game. I don't know who the player is who makes Ohio State pay for it right now, but I do know that I don't think they have to be that level of player to make Ohio State pay for it right now. I, and that's not a comfortable place for me to be where I talk, where we sit, sit here and say, is Ohio State going to, in Michigan, reaching a national championship game? That requires both of them to be undefeated. And those tackles are not good enough for Ohio State to be undefeated getting into that game right now. I think that's and a lot could change in four months. Think, but right now, I'm not comfortable here. I think that's the important point. 2021 Michigan Ohio State was those were really good tackles. Those guys were in the NFL. And Hutchinson and Jabo still came out and kind of had their way with them. And I think right now, the fear that Ohio State fans have and, and the, the analysis of the people watching the team would be. I don't think it has to be that level of, of defensive end, edge rusher, outside linebacker, whatever, that causes Ohio State real problems. And it's, again, if you were to take this Ohio State team that it has right now and put it onto the 2019 Ohio State schedule that Justin Fields got to play, I think we'd be talking about it differently. But that's not the schedule this team has to play. It's, it's, it looks right now like a way tougher schedule. So the thing, I think my, my Ohio State equation here is like two – very different sides of the equation that equal each other. So it's basically worst quarterback play just because, come on, CJ Stroud was really good last year, right? Yeah. And I'm talking about worst, not meaning year. bad, but so just... worst. Co- yeah. yeah, just not as good as a guy who's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Worst quarterback play, worst offensive line play, better run game, better defense, same good receivers equals a team that is about the same as it was last year. Add that to improved Michigan and the very, very top of the sport comes down a bit. And I'm at 
I can envision an Ohio State Michigan national championship game as we sit here in April. So that's where I am with that. And I also say, from a mental health standpoint, when it comes to being a sports fan, not actual mental health issues, mental health sports fan stuff. We almost had an Ohio State Michigan title game last season. How would you feel if it happened this season? I would love it. I would hate it. It makes my head hurt to think about it in April, which is basically like Doug, stop bothering me, which is Doug, stop bothering me is always an acceptable answer on Buckeye Talk. Or the fact that we came close last season has prepared me to be more open to it this season. So love it. I'm I, These people are here for it. Love it, 43%. Hate it, 9%. So much more love than hate. Leave me alone, Doug, 27%. And the fact that we came close last season has prepared me for it this season is 21%. And that is exactly where I am. I did not want it last year. I was not ready for it. I was getting ready for it in 2024. And now this is the last chance in 2023, Jimmy. I'm ready, right? I'm ready. I'm like the guys in Lost at the end, right? If you haven't seen Lost, they all, they're like half dead on an island and then they go into a church and everybody's like, are you dead or alive? And it's like, I'm ready. So I'm that, right? Whatever. Take me off the island. I didn't want to leave the island last year. I wanted to stay on the, they play in November and that's it island. But having gone through that, I'm not prepared to leave the island. Because guess what? In 2024, we all have to be prepared to leave the island. So it's a matter of are you prepared now or are you only going to be prepared next year? I'm prepared now, Jimmy. Jimmy, should people – are you ready? Are the people in Ann Arbor ready? Should we all be ready for this to be a possibility now before we get to the 12-team playoff? I think, first of all, Doug's Doug's little island should be thanking the Michigan non-conference schedulers for – for making this all possible yeah. once again, because this September yeah. schedule be- begins with four straight games at home against East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers before a daunting trip to Matt Rule at Nebraska. So that, there's that. I actually uh, had a conversation about this very uh, aspect with with a couple of Michigan fans at the spring game that it came up organically because I w- I was thinking. And then this is my, this might bleed into tomorrow's pot a little bit, but it's, it's pertinent to this conversation. I was thinking that if you're Michigan or anyone connected to Michigan, you beat Ohio State two years in a row, convincingly two years in a row. You kind of pushed them around two years in a row. You would be feeling, you would be feeling like that's, that you want that. You, you want to keep seeing them. It seems like there's some nerves over there. Like it's this is this like it, it, it's this is separate from the is it possible conversation? Do you want it to be possible? Is an interesting thing to look at because I Ohio State fans are still puffing their chest out and Michigan fans are still it's like they have a lot of battle scars and so I <laughs> I I don't know if everyone's ready to to swim to the island yet. I, I just want to say real quick, uh, Jimmy brings up a really good point too that the thing that mathematically makes it difficult to think about this is that the only way it happens is if they're either both undefeated and Michigan wins and Ohio state still gets in like happened last year, or if Ohio state is already, because if Ohio state's already taken a loss and then beats Michigan, this non-conference schedule is such crap that Michigan's not getting in with mm-hmm. a loss. I don't think like there would have to be a lot of chaos out there that, that drags them in with a loss. So it's only one half of the equation that really works here that a, a, the Ohio State takes the hit but still gets in. I don't think Michigan can take the hit and still get in. 
But even if they're both undefeated, I think that might be the case. I think it is. Because let's just think this lap, this past season, as an example, because I mean, it was terrible non conference schedule last year. Had Ohio State won that game and USC still played out the way they did and they lost, I don't know if Michigan gets in over USC in that situation. The, 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 a good point. I think committee also the, did not like Michigan's so, schedule, as it said every single right. week that we mm-hmm. had to talk to them. Yeah. There's also just like a, I feel like the committee like cares about your reputation. Like if Alabama, which didn't play a great schedule last year, had only lost one of the two games it lost. Like the college football playoff could have looked a little bit different. And Michigan has still yet to earn whatever weird trust they need from the committee, right? They are they are not – I don't think they've been anointed by the 13 athletic directors, gray-haired athletic directors in that room who make that decision as like, yeah, even, even though you lost that dumb game to Purdue in October, we know you're good enough. I think they're still building toward that. Well, Ohio State has not been anointed that way either. Rep- <laughs> because they have lost that game. Well, no. Yeah, well, I mean, they would have gotten in 21, but then you lose a second time. You took it off the board. I, I, but uh, I'm talking losing to Purdue within, re- within reason. Oh, so, yeah. so I do think the reputation point is real, and I do think Michigan will enter that room this year in a different place than they entered last year. Just like everybody viewed, I think, the Ohio State-Michigan. It was like, yeah, it's kind of a fluke. It was snowy. Aiden Hutchinson's awesome. I don't know. Is this really a thing? And that's like, oh, no, 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 no. Michigan's actually good. Michigan is actually good. Penn State's going to be really important in this conversation. If I think Ohio State-Michigan are two of the best four teams, I think Ohio State-Penn State-Michigan might be two of the best six. And I know I sound like a crazy like Big Ten East homer, but like I just think this is where we are. Michigan's crossovers also suck. Minnesota, Nebraska, Purdue. But also, I think it's possible the West winner might have a little more juice, Luke Fickle, this year. That if if that Michigan, well, I guess, but you're not going to get there if you're the loser. Right. Penn State has to kick Penn State. Ohio State, Michigan both have to kick Penn State's butt. I, you guys make a very good point. Ohio State, it's, it's the same thing, right? It's the two sides of the coin. Well, Ohio State has to play Notre Dame, has to play Wisconsin. Michigan doesn't have to play either of those two games. So that means Ohio State will have a better schedule reputation with the committee, but they also have a better chance of losing because they play those games and Michigan doesn't. So it's like, which, where would you rather be? But if the discussion is you are now the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game, you'd probably rather have played the tougher schedule. Unless, as the loser of Ohio State-Michigan, it's your third loss. So all of that, yes, they threaded a Pretty small needle last year to get there, thanks to South Carolina beating Clemson, mm-hmm. thanks to Utah beating USC. There were multiple things that had to happen. Multiple things would have to happen again. But when you looked at Ohio State, Michigan, 2006, there were people who wanted them to rematch in a 1-2 game back when it was a two-team playoff, and people were like, do it again. That's what I think could be on the table here. That may, you know, George is going to play a crappy schedule too. Right. But maybe if Bama's not quite Bama and, you know, Florida State and Washington and USC and all these other schools are good. But week after week, you watch Ohio State, Michigan and say they're the two best teams. I don't know what to tell you. They're the two best teams. I know schedule this, schedule that, whatever. But you know what? They're the two best teams. And what did they do in the last Saturday, November? They played a good football game that was close. So what's the end result? I think the loser belongs in, too. There's a version of that that you can play so well, I think. As long as there aren't three other teams playing just as well with a tougher schedule, 
if you play well enough, I think you can supersede your schedule. And I just think it's possible. So that's where we are on that. People want me, some 25% of people say, Doug, leave me alone. Don't make me think about Ohio State, Michigan in April. And that is fine. But I just want to tell you, Michigan is good, comma, and that means Ohio State, Michigan might play the national championship. Let's talk defense. The last two years, Jimmy. In 2021, by the Football Outsiders defensive metrics, right, which are nice, better than Ross stats, Michigan was 11th in overall defense. Ohio State was 31st. Last year, Michigan was 4th in overall defense. Ohio State was 15th, so they both got better. But Ohio State is still behind Michigan defensively the past two years. How good does Michigan think its defense is going to be in 2023, Jimmy? Pretty darn good. <laughs> Again, um, I think if we're – the weak point would would have before the transfer portal edition might have been linebacker, but they they got some depth there with Ernest Hausman from Nebraska, who I covered for half a season and can run like the wind. Will be a, a factor on, on uh, in Saturdays in the fall this year, I think. Um, will Johnson is locked in at the top corner spot. We're not really sure who's going to be the other corner yet, but. Everyone else is at least, you know, a familiar-ish face. Defensive line brings back three, I think, at least contributors. Um, <clears throat> and the way that they have have churned out not elite edge NFL rushers, uh, though they're, the, the brand of NFL r- rusher that they are churning out is improving. But the way that they continuously have done that over the last couple of years gives you some blind faith that the guys who haven't had um, – as much playing time because they've been stuck behind freaks like Mozzie Smith can still make uh, an impact going forward. I think the the biggest place where they 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 leave a little bit to be desired be those it's kind of like a natural defensive progression, right? You you're really good at stopping people. You're really good at stopping people. Can you affect games now? Can you swing win probability? Michigan was a middle of the pack defense at forcing turnovers last year. They only forced two fumbles. Um, they grabbed 14 interceptions. DJ Turner's gone now. So we'll see what that means for that. And Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, was talking last week or two weeks about how much, how the big emphasis in spring camp has been forcing negative plays on early downs. So, okay, yeah, thanks, Jesse. That's what every defense wants to do. But they haven't been doing that enough. The numbers say that they have not. They are putting, yes, you're. You're not teams aren't getting very far when they run the ball, but they are still moving forward. And sometimes that's all you need to be in to be in manageable third down situations against a really good defense like that. Offenses are calling that a win. So they want to give the offense fewer wins, put teams in more bad situations, which will, of course, in turn, increase the opportunities for turnovers. That's the next step for them. Definitely the possibility of stars at each level, right? Chris Jenkins at three tech, possible star. Junior Colson at linebacker, one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten, and Will Johnson at corner, that kind of talent as well. And and I do think this defense for Michigan has a chance to be sort of the combination of, you know, two years ago, Aiden Hutchinson was such a stud, and then Jim Harbaugh, Big Ten Media Days last year, is like, hey, we don't have stars, but I almost think that's better. I like the kind of, hey, we're all in this together kind of defense. It's like, come on, Jim. And it kind of worked. So really quickly on Jim Harbaugh, when Jim Harbaugh got to Michigan, he was kind of weird. And I don't know if he's less weird now or it's 
just that they got better at football, but pretty much the thing I think about Jim Harbaugh right now is that he's a good football coach and that they are doing a lot of things right. And so I think I'm done when I hear Jim Harbaugh say something thinking that guy's weird. And I think I'm just going to have to say like, guy's a good football coach. Cause when he said it last summer, Nathan, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, well, that's what everybody would say when you lose a Hutchinson. And then he was kind of right. So yeah. I think you have to believe that there's going to be a standard of defense at Michigan. I think the real conversation here, Nathan, is will Ohio State have a better defense than Michigan this year? I think that actually is the conversation. And when we are looking at defensive rating, Michigan 11, Ohio State 31, defensive rating, Michigan 4, Ohio State 15, should that be an expectation? Is it a necessity that whether we're looking at some kind of statistical rankings at the end of 2023, or more importantly, we're just watching them play on the last Saturday in November, and you say, which team has a better defense? Should people be saying it's Ohio State based on the way the programs are built? So it's a should theoretically, hey, who should have the better defense? And then it's a talent discussion with the guys that are actually here, with everybody that's back for Ohio State, with everything we talked about in the spring with Sonny Styles and JT Tuimolowau and all these things, the rise of Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock's healthy. Who do you think should have the better defense between these two teams, Nathan? So Ohio State, as I said before, was so on the cusp of a breakthrough last year. I think they were 37th or 38th nationally in yards allowed per play, but that was a plummet in those last two games. And that's where, as much as I was pushing back before about how Ryan Day needs to make sure he also mentions the the three second half points whenever he mentions the explosive touchdowns, the explosive touchdowns in those in the Michigan game and Georgia game were what dragged that average down. It was still an improvement over the year before, but a small one. And Jim Knowles the other night, last week at the coaches clinic, was talking about stop rate and how that's like one of his favorite things. It's like kind of takes away a lot of the the noise. And it's just like, did you get off the field or not? That's what a defense is supposed to do. And last year, Ohio State was 10th. But when he said, so that number one, that alone tells you kind of the gap that they're 37th at giving up yards per play, but 10th at actually getting off the field the most. So the times that they're not getting off the field the most are giving up too many yards uh, proportionally. But along with saying it, that they were 10th, and I texted this to our subscribers as soon as he said it, 614-350-3315. He said, but that's not good enough. Like 10th is tenth is not where we're supposed to be. So that tells you a little bit about the, not just the standard that he is pursuing, but I think also what he sees coming back this year, that again, if it's just tweaked, if they coach up the right guys, if they've now got a couple new guys coming in and you know, these, these rosters are a little different than they were last year. And Jimmy was talking about some of the transfers that came in for Michigan. I think Davis and Igmanosin in particular is almost a direct answer to the Michigan loss in some ways, like something they needed that wasn't available to them in either of the last two Michigan losses, a big physical corner like that, who also has the coverage skills that can play at that level. And, and maybe even Jihad Carter too, like bringing someone like him in just additional safety depth. Like if he had been the guy who could have gone in behind Tanner McAllister last year, do they give up the touchdown that Cam Martinez gave up? And I'm not trying to pick on him, but I'm just saying like, what if he's better? Like, we'll find out. Like those guys are still battling for what's going to happen at that spot. Like there's a, the, the competition in the secondary has raised significantly and as we've all talked about since Saturday I thought you saw it on the field in the spring game just a a, a significantly more confident defense a a defense like all over the field all over that secondary especially guys going up and just finishing plays assertively 
and that was missing in so many ways last year, early in the year, in the Michigan game. Like it came up in big spots, and I think it, Ohio State fans should be optimistic right now that that won't be the case. I feel like Steve, we talked a lot this spring about the improved secondary for Ohio State. That's a that's a year long conversation. That's a year long effect, but it also feels like what are we actually talking about? We're talking about the Michigan game and we're talking about like one or two plays against Georgia. Do you think Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and Davidson and Benoson and Sonny Styles and Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom and, and Jihad Carter and Cam Martinez and Kai Stokes and these new guys, will they allow the coverage busts? Will they allow themselves to be beaten in game-changing ways the way it happened last year? Do you think Ohio State fans should have significantly more faith for the last Saturday in November about those big plays not happening because we saw progress in the secondary? I think you should have some faith, yes. I also don't think we're going to actually be able to cash in on that faith until November. Because, uh, yeah, Sam Harmon's a, a decent quarterback, but he also has had some games in his career where he's gotten a little loose with it. And so we might be in a similar situation this year with that defense, with this defense where it's like, oh, things are better. Oh, things are better. And then they play a good team. And it's like, well, all that improvement actually didn't exist because once they got on the field with a talent equated team or at least a team who could compete with them, they started giving up explosive plays. And so, yes, have faith in it, but I think it should come with a caution. Like the yellow light should be on the entire season for Ohio State in this defense until we get to that game where the giving up explosive plays, getting beat one-on-one in coverage is going to matter the most. And you can say that with secondary. I think you can even say that with the linebackers to an extent. And you can say it especially up front, where I think up front, the answer is just guys need to be who we think they are. Because it was a big deal when they got JT and Jack. A really big deal. Like, probably the best recruiting job Larry Johnson has ever done. And the possibilities of like, man, can we get what 2018 didn't get because Nick Bosa got hurt where you've got a five-star on each side and they're just a problem for tackles all day. That's got to show up in these big-time games. Can Mike Hall stay healthy? Can Talik Williams get you know consistent? Can Ty Hamilton continue his progression? It's kind of the same thing with the linebacker depth. Is we know Tommy Eichenberg, we know Steel Chambers, but if anything, if Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Nick Bosa taught us anything, you're always a deducted alien away from something going terribly wrong there. So are CJ Hicks and Cody Simon just kind of ready to just in case something happens here? But all of it has to be taken with a grain of salt until we get to Michigan week because and there's going to be moments where I think it's going to look really, really good and we're going to think things are fixed. And then we're going to find out later in the season when it actually matters. Oh, no, they weren't fixed. What went wrong? Let's wrap it up with this. And and, and point taken on that, Stephen, that's that the whole season you're learning, you're trying to learn what's real and what's not real. I do think with the things we've talked about with Notre Dame and San Hartman with Wisconsin and Tanner Mordecai, I, I do just think we are going to know a little bit more about Ohio state before the last Saturday in November than we will about Michigan. When you look at this Michigan schedule and Jimmy, you were on it from the jump. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, at Nebraska, at Minnesota, Indiana, at Michigan State, Purdue. That is 9-0, and and I'm not even sure you have to get out of your pajamas. And then they're going to go to Penn State, and that could be a potentially huge game. And then it's at Maryland, so uh, Michigan does have two road games before the Ohio State game. I- I'll- I'm going to finish with you, Jimmy, so I'll let Nathan go first on this. Our Buckeye Talk listeners, our Cleveland.com readers, Nathan, 
people who care about Ohio State football and think about Ohio State football all the time, should they just assume, based on facts, based on past history, based on some of the evidence we presented here today, that Michigan is good, even if you ha- you probably will look at those first nine games and be like, ah, come on. Because a year ago, I don't think I thought Michigan was going to be good. I think I predicted Michigan to go, not guess what, nine and three, old nine and three Doug. Because I thought maybe 21 was more of a blip than a new trend. I am not there anymore. I think this is a trend. I think this is the new Michigan. I think they have really good assistance. I think Harbaugh has created a culture. I think you can see a little bit of a rise in the talent. And they have a clear style that works. And in particular, has seemed like a problem for Ohio State. So I'm all in on, I don't really care who Michigan's playing. I'm going to believe that as long as Michigan's winning and you know looking like a good football team, I'm not going to think it's smoke and mirrors. I'm going to assume that Michigan is going to be a really good team for November 26th unless they, until they start losing to Minnesota. Where are you on that, Nathan? Because it's going to be hard because 9-0 and for Michigan is going to be a cakewalk. No, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, and I think that I was skeptical going into last year, too, because I, I also thought 21 was a blip. And it just seemed like the kind of – without those like generational kind of guys, I think we can probably sort of start to call Aiden Hutchinson that kind of player – then when you when you take him out of the equation, does this become, again, the kind of Michigan team that we had become accustomed to that was going to be very good, was going to win nine or ten games and go to a really good bowl and, and maybe even give Ohio State a little bit of a problem, but it would find a way to lose other important games that year because that's what they had done under Jim Harbaugh from the day he got there. They could not win big games, and that, that, wasn't, that wasn't right. I was wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. A lot of people were wrong about that. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that you you should assume right now that there is an edge that Michigan has separated from the other really good teams in the Big Ten, along with Ohio State. I mean, I, I think of them as as the kind of the dual the dual uh, programs that are kind of carrying the flag for this conference. And, and Michigan has Michigan has control of it right now, and, and Ohio State's kind of running alongside. But those are the two programs that. Uh, that are, are carrying the flag for this for this conference right now. And and I don't think that's the only way to think of it. I don't think it's the for sure right way to think of it. You know, we might get to November and be like, oh, 6327 again. No, it was like a two whatever. Steven, where do you think you are? You know, we have a lot we're gonna keep investigating Ohio State every single day. But our Michigan, your Michigan perception as it stands now and how it will or won't be affected by the first nine games. Yeah, Michigan's not going to catch me off guard the way it's done the last two seasons where it felt like they were good, but Ohio State just has this thing that Michigan can't keep up with. And so that's going to be the side of the game, even if they keep it competitive. 2018 and the way that game played out has been a little too far in my head these last couple of years here. And I think we're we're a little removed from that now that Don Brown years are over with. And so I'm going to, regardless of what Michigan's schedule is, I, I, I said it about Ohio State, we might not find out some things completely into that game. I mean, I feel the same way about Michigan, but I'm at least going to come into it with, I want to say a little bit more respect, but a little bit more openness to the idea that maybe Ohio State doesn't run away with this at some point because they, they just flip the switch and the offense goes runs off 17 or 21 straight points. I'm not there anymore. It does remain a more remarkable stat that CJ Stroud in his career 
threw for 394 and 349 yards against Michigan and was 0-2. That is a little hard to wrap your head around. Jimmy, you were at the spring game. You've talked to Michigan players. You've talked to Michigan coaches. You've talked to Michigan fans. Where do you believe the belief should be with an easy schedule about what kind of team Michigan's going to be in 2023? So I have been accused uh, by some of our readership of being something of a fear monger in, in that I, if I write, I write stories that they deem to be disingenuous because they paint Michigan in such a favorable light that they just, it can't be true. Come on. What are you doing? This is, this is still, this is still Scarlet and Gray here. I'm here to tell you, I'm not sure it's that way anymore. Uh, particularly this season, the schedule can act as a hindrance if they're not, you know, battle tested or whatever. But the dudes are on the field. We just went over it. They've got, I think, 16 starters back from the team that beat at least the guys who were on the field for Ohio State last year. The coaching continuity. I know they changed offensive coordinators, but they hired from within on that spot. And they, the quarterbacks coach, he's a new quarterbacks coach, but he's one of the main uh, recruiters listed on on the Jaden Davis commit, who we'll talk to, about tomorrow. Jesse Minter, second-year defensive coordinator with an NFL background. Um, I think that's the first. This is the first time in a couple of years Michigan's had a repeat defensive coordinator, which is interesting. And as we talked about at the top, the skill guys. However you feel about about JJ, it's a really, really, really good situation. So I think there's an actual there's a there's a real chance that Michigan's favored uh, at, at, in, in Ann Arbor this year, and there's there's a real chance that the this. I, I, I should, there's a real chance, and I also wonder whether this sky is falling, ball takes a weird bounce, here we go again, syndrome that afflicted Michigan for so long uh, may flip the other way this year. And that will be what we do for 90 minutes on the next podcast about this. We are going to talk about vibes and trash talk and intangibles and when the worm turns in a rivalry and has it and a little bit of the history of these kind of things. And so we will dive into that. We wanted this one to be about the football and the players and the on-field stuff, what each team is really good at. And again, in conclusion, I think both teams are really good at a lot of stuff. And so this is, this is what it should be like. This is what it's like to be a fan of the SEC. You have conversations about like, oh, you know, uh, the national title games are, are both from our conference. Like, okay, yeah, no. I th- I th- congratulations. It's Kevin Warren's dream. That young man, he's just a, he's a young man with a dream. And he said, I want to be the commissioner of a league for like two and a half years, one of them in the midst of a pandemic. But when I, right after I leave, I want both teams. Did you see the thing? I guess they showed... Kevin Warren showing up at his first day of work at the Chicago Bears at like four o'clock in the morning and he left at like 10 o'clock at night. And guess what? A camera was there. Yeah. Hey guys, uh, getting in at uh, 4 a.m. Can you make sure, can you guys have the good lighting? I'm going to make sure I, I uh, put on a little makeup for that. I'll have my, I got my good briefcase. Hey Kevin, happy 4 a.m. Come on, come on. Anyway, I just want it for Kevin Warren. More than anything, if a guy's going to get up at, for work at 4 o'clock in the morning at his new job that he used the Big Ten as a stepping stool for, I at least want his former conference to have two teams in the national title game. Kev, 
So anyway, but the new guy's great too. The new guy, I guess the new guy, I don't know, invented TV or something. So congratulations to that guy for inventing TV. Who cares about commissioners? We care about football. Ohio State, Michigan, national championship game. Write it down. Where is the national championship game, Nathan? Where is this going to be played? We had Alabama, Georgia in Indianapolis, which was just like kind of like a troll job. Right, it's like there's finally a national championship game in the Midwest, and it's like, oh, who's in it? It's like, oh, it's two SEC teams. Cool. So, where will this one be? Ohio State, Michigan, the national title game. Nathan will be where? Is it Miami again? Oh, lovely. I'm not sure. Miami's not exactly SEC country. Miami's kind of like a different country altogether. So, okay, Midwesterners, Midwesterners love going to Miami in the winter. Yeah. Go book your tickets. Go book your tickets for the national title game involving two Big Ten teams. We'll be back to talk about intangibles on the next Buckeye Talk for now. It's uh, By the way, it's Houston. For it's Houston. Baird, it's by the way, it's Houston. 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 Oh, that is SEC country because now Texas is going to be in the SEC. This so. is true. Okay. It's in Houston. Maybe we'll see CJ Stroud down there if he gets picked. Okay. Um, Jackson Smith is Houston. Houston. You can drive to Houston, I think. Thanks to you guys for making us part of your week. Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, you know them. And Dr. Rivalry, eh, undergrad rivalry. Student, what would you be like? Student rival. Well, he's just Jimmy. You go by yeah. James Watkins. When do you go by? You go by James Watkins on your byline, but you're Jimmy to us here at Buckeye Talk? I've tried to, I've tried to have, the, have them change the byline, and they did for a while, and I, now it has changed back. I don't really know what's going on there. Oh, for real? You started off as James, <laughs> but you really want to be a Jimmy, and they Jimmyed I, you, and then they re-Jamesed you? Correct. Wow. Well, Steven, you're always Steven. Have you ever been Steve or Stevie or anything? <laughs> Steph? No? No. I mean, the people who like know me in real life and have known me since I was a child call me Stevie. Um, nobody calls me Steve. No. It's just, it's never sound right with me. Steve. Nobody calls me no. Steve. Steven, nobody calls me Steve means. And then, Nathan, are you a Nate ever? Are you ever a Nate? I'm often a Nate. Yeah, a lot of people call me Nate. Hmm. Huh. See, I didn't know this. Like if you if you met my brother, if you were around <laughs> you my are... family, my brother would just call me Nate. Like that's just <laughs> the way. It's just what he always called. The people in our real lives know our actual names. Not the you people guys are in always our like. Lives. I've called you Stephen and Nathan since I've known you, and then you guys are always like, my, my friends call me Nate and Stevie. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> thanks, Stephen and Nathan. People just call me French Vanilla. All right, thanks you guys for making Buckeye talk part of your week. We'll be back with more Ohio State Michigan on the next one for now. For Nate, Stevie, and Jimmy, I'm Little Dougie, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.